learning how we need to retool ourselves as humans so we can continue doing what we are great at doing as humans that is different than what a machine is good at. If you are looking to learn how AI, crypto, spatial computing, VR, and blockchain will change your world, look no further. Meet Roberto Hernandez, PricewaterhouseCoopers Chief Innovation Officer, a serious technologist who expertly accelerates growth for his clients by applying comprehensive tech underpinnings with their macro strategies. Life as we go into the future gonna be better as a result of complementing human in-person experiences with experiences that are powered by metaverse technologies. I would say the answer is absolutely yes. Hernandez finds solutions to capture more data, more profit, and more buzz across a multitude of sectors from finance and beyond. Roberto, thank you for spending time and sharing your hearty vision with me on this episode of Some Future Day. Enjoy. Hi, Roberto. Good afternoon. I am so thrilled to have you on this episode of Some Future Day. How are you? Doing great, Mark. Thank you very much for the invitation. Roberto, you and I are aligned. We're optimists. Maybe people would say that we're even tech optimists. Can you please tell me the definition of metaverse to start? I knew you were going to start with the easiest uh, question, Mike. And I will probably answer these uh, in a somewhat odd way because I'm really not going to answer your question because I believe that we continue to spend a lot of time on coming up with definitions. And the more that I get to see what is happening with call it metaverse, AR, VR, XR, immersive experiences, or something else. But uh, in the eyes of uh, a consumer, in the eyes of a teenager, in the eyes of you or I, the definition becomes somewhat secondary when we are in front of an experience that is delightful and borderline magical. Because if we like what we see, we like what we experience, I don't really care about whether we use the term metaverse or something else. I'm going to buy it uh, if I can uh, afford it. And I think that that's what has been happening with technology over and over again. I remember probably uh, some of uh, your viewers are not going to have a clue on what I'm going to say, but who uh, 20 years ago remembers, because we used to have these debates on whether we should call it www.something, and sure. people would say, well, but you are missing HTML. And then with people like, well, it's HTPPS and all sorts of terms that I uh, don't even uh, remember what uh, they stood for. And my web platform versus your web platform. And at the end of the day, it was pretty evident that what uh, people out there really wanted is a way to connect to what uh, initially was the World Wide Web, then the Internet, and now People don't even know what we are talking about. They just refer to us apps. And the exact same thing is going to happen with the metaverse. But maybe to avoid disappointing you, I would say that the metaverse is just a collection of technologies that allow us to have immersive experiences that range from immersive to the to full virtual reality. Okay, so, let, so let's hang out on that concept of immersive experiences for a second. I I was excited. I read a report recently from Stanford University, which said that 
the retention rate for consumers inside a fully immersive digital experience reaches as high as 75 to 80% versus when a brand speaks at speaks at a consumer or uses written uh, format to speak to a consumer, the retention rate is about five to 10%. So do you think that these immersive experiences are going to wholeheartedly change the way that brands market with or to their their target customer base? I would say that the clear answer to that is yes. And the reason why I can confidently say yes is because we have conducted a couple of studies, not related to brands specifically, but related to different use cases for immersive technologies or the metaverse in areas such as training. And most recently, we published a uh, results of uh, another study that we did on what happens when you inject uh, virtual reality into uh, something as technical as running a really large multinational project uh, that follows the agile methodology. And if you sprinkle a little bit of uh, virtual reality, not implying that you would have people on headsets at the entire day or the entire duration of the project, but it's unbelievable how if you give uh, someone an opportunity to wear a headset for 20, 25 minutes to do one of the uh, scrum meetings or beginning of day or end of day sessions. If you provide a half an hour training to someone in virtual reality versus one of the uh, video conference uh, platforms, the information retention goes uh, through the roof and uh, the connectivity that the people in the experience, particularly as it relates to the agile uh, experiment that we run also goes through the uh, roof simply because I know that uh, a lot of people uh, uh, look to the fact, and I actually agree with that, that nothing replaces the in-person human experience. But the reality of business today and the reality of brands today is that we are not going to be able to have an in-person connection 100% of the time. So we have one of two options to say we are going to be doing at the best that we can on those uh, opportunities for the in-person interaction and everything else is going to continue to follow the 2D standards that have been in place for now over a decade? Or are we going to complement the delight of that in-person experience with immersive experiences in the form of AR, VR, XR that not only increase the delight, but increase information retention and also create uh, a more delightful end-to-end journey. When I think about uh, a brand, you can have, uh, if you want, the core of your experience to be that in-person element of the journey. But with immersive technologies, you can begin the journey in a delightful way, way before that in-person interaction. And you can continue the immersive experience way after that in-person interaction. So, Roberto, when you talk about immersive experiences, if I understand correctly, you're not saying these immersive experiences need to be, for example, in a VR realm. You're saying 2D works too. Like, for example, is that like a gaming platform, like a Roblox, a, a Fortnite? Like, is, is that is that absolutely yeah. tons of opportunities in uh, what I would refer to as immersive 2D? That are those uh, experiences of or worlds that we would consume through our smartphones or laptops. It also includes uh, augmented reality experiences that might be available on uh, our phones and uh, several social media companies already have those in place, but could also be uh, maybe going to a kiosk at a shopping center and 
finding one of these magic mirrors that are emerging that allow us to have a more immersive interaction. And then you, of course, have the more immersive experiences that include not only virtual reality, by the way, but that also include the next generation uses of audio technology on things like, uh, as an example, last uh, Sunday when uh, I was watching uh, my son play flag football, I had a conversation uh, with uh, my son glasses. And people might laugh. I know that a couple of people saw the uh, the LED uh, light blinking and uh, looked at me as uh, if I was from another planet. But I was using it to start uh, recording uh, some of the uh, uh, videos uh, from my kid uh, throwing the, uh, the the ball to talk, take some uh, pictures, and yes, uh, also to get some uh, updates on uh, the scores of the football games that were taking place at the same. That's incredible. So assuming that you're, the hardware you're talking about, the glasses that you're talking about are the new Ray-Ban Meta collaboration. I'm curious, um, one of the big complaints that we hear repeatedly is that people using hardware on their face is too burdensome. They're too heavy, they're clunky, et cetera. Was it a comfortable experience for you when you used these glasses? To me, it was actually pretty comfortable, and I would also uh, argue that it's just one of the examples on the types of interactions that we are going to be having with next-generation wearables. I think it's too early to tell which are going to be the ones that are going to be widely adopted by uh, large segments of the population. But what I really like is that uh, we are seeing uh, an acceleration on the number of devices that are going to be coming to uh, market. Some might be uh, sunglasses or regular eyeglasses. Some might be uh, pins that we are going to have uh, uh, attached to uh, our sweaters. Some might be uh, foldable wearables that are going to give us a different experience. And some others, as I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, might be different uh, types of LED screens that are going to be around us in certain public locations and that are going to have technology that is going to allow us to have a very personalized experience, regardless of how many other people might be surrounding us at that time. So, Roberto, you talk a lot about um, hardware that is in the pipeline and might um, reach mass distribution, let's say, into 24, 25. But as it relates to your definition of the metaverse, it seems like we're there already, right? Like, if you start to think about gaming, social media, access to other types of VR, um, you know, for example, the MetaQuest 3 now and beyond. Is the metaverse already ubiquitous, but uh, for some reason we don't really realize it? And see that the early days of the metaverse are definitely already around us, but it's no different than what we have seen with other large uh, technology waves. Uh, the analogy that I use all the time is the uh, evolution that that we all went through from the early days of uh, the internet to what we have today. I still remember uh, I, uh, I lived up in Mexico City for uh, my entire life up to uh, 20 years ago. So my first experience with the internet was when uh, I plugged in uh, my computer to the phone line to access the internet for the very first time. And uh, how, despite the fact that it took me... Uh, about 25 minutes, uh, and uh, a month later, my dad uh, screaming at me for all the money that I had spent on uh, long-distance calls, 
I still remember how magical that experience was when I could see on my green screen text from the cable news network uh, on the uh, on the news. And a lot of people back then could have said, well, why are you spending so much money and so much time connecting to read two lines of text if you can turn your TV set on and you already have cable and you can see the uh, news with all the pictures, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, real time. And if people would just stop and say, hey, that's the extent of what the internet is going to be all about. And there were all sorts of articles published back then that say, well, this is going to be useless. The internet is dead. A lot of the things that we are hearing uh, these days that are happening to the metaverse is just uh, a very short-sighted view. This is going to take time. This is going to take quite a bit of uh, adoption uh, ups and downs, but it doesn't mean that the journey hasn't started, and it doesn't mean that the journey is uh, already done or has come to to an end in any shape or form. We are just going to go through the same evolution with the only difference that I would say it took us, uh, Mark, how many years to go from that green screen experience to a pretty slick smartphone app? I would dare to say that the time that is going to take us uh, from the green screen days of the metaverse to the app days of the metaverse is going to be probably less than a third of the uh, of the time. Uh, just uh, thinking about software uh, developments, hardware developments, and the convergence that uh, I'm starting to see on all things. Uh, blockchain-related, generative AI-related, and immersive-related. Uh, I don't think that we are going to be talking a few years from now about isolated uh, technologies. We are going to be talking about uh, a family of uh, technologies that uh, work uh, in sync for the most part to uh, create uh, not only delightful experiences, but uh, very productive uh, applications uh, across all sectors. Yeah, I see that too, Roberto. I, I look at the concept of emerging technologies as an umbrella that stands on top of blockchain technology and its related types of elements, artificial intelligence, and then off-chain technologies that include VR, AR, MR, uh, spatial computing, and beyond. I think that's you know really a salient point because they will all work together. And to a certain extent, I think artificial intelligence will be the driving engine behind it, like the gasoline, the engine that drives all of these other projects. When you start to think about like these emerging technologies becoming more and more ubiquitous, typically they kind of like seep into pop culture in different ways. There are is a utility value and there's an entertainment value. And I think gaming has done a lot historically in bringing us, you know, bringing a lot of these technologies forward. So I'm curious in your, from your perspective, which piece do you think will be more critical in allowing for these emerging technologies to reach mass consumer consumption? Do you think it will be more about the utility or more about the entertainment value? In my opinion, Mark is going to be a thousand percent uh, all about the experience. I fundamentally believe that uh, if you think about what has happened uh, this year alone with uh, attendance at uh, superstar concerts, the speed at which new seasons of uh, popular video games are uh, being adopted and all sorts of records are being broken. It's not about the technology in isolation. It's not about 
uh, these companies are necessarily doing uh, micro-segmentation to understand what each of us wants as an individual customer as a part of a segment. What uh, more and more companies are realizing is that we are all looking for delightful experiences. Those delightful experiences might manifest in uh, different uh, ways, but uh, I am the same human when I go to the movies or when I go to the supermarket to buy uh, groceries and uh, products from my favorite uh, brands. However, the way in which my preferences uh, work might be really, really different uh, on what I want to experience when I'm going on vacation versus when I'm uh, conducting something that is more routinary uh, by, by nature. So I think that uh, those brands that start, and I see several that are already heading in that direction, realize that this is uh, not just about uh, having a, a great 2D experience, but that people want to interact with you in a more immersive way, that they want to interact with uh, each other in, uh, in different ways. That, by the way, you mentioned uh, video games. To me, the biggest change that we have seen in video games uh, lately, if you think about uh, the uh, resolution of the images, I wouldn't say that some of the platforms that uh, my three boys uh, use day in and day out are the uh, highest definition uh, characters or these uh, worlds that look like uh, the real life. It is more about uh, how are those platforms allowing them to interact with uh, their friends, with a network of people that uh, most of the time they also connect with uh, in real life. But is that stretching of the experience? Is that uh, stretching of the journey that uh, allows them to be connected uh, with that group? Not only when they have the opportunity to see them in person, to play sports, or because they go to school together, but because they can continue that experience when they are at home through these delightful uh, experiences that are immersive and that allow them to be creators, not only consumers of content. So let's talk about that a little bit further in the video game sector. Let's isolate to Fortnite and um, the advances that Unreal Engine are bringing to the platform as well as bringing to the creator. I mean, it's incredible to me that Unreal Engine is, is um, allowing for individual participants to develop imagery and immersive environments, experiences that are, are photorealistic. You can't distinguish at this point what the um, images are, uh, whether it's an actual photograph or, or going deeper. So how will that impact the way that creators participate with, with Fortnite? And um, then how will, do you see an evolution to gaming also? Uh, for example, will they only create or use Unreal Engine to develop in-game experiences? Or do you think that Fortnite could transform into perhaps a arena where original content is created and distributed because of Unreal Engine? You know, a new way of watching television shows, perhaps even a new YouTube type of format. So I'm uh, far from uh, being a video game expert. So I will comment based on what I'm seeing across uh, industries because I believe that uh, the answer applied to uh, multiple uh, sectors. When you think about how fast uh, technology is uh, moving, when uh, literally a year or so ago, we started being exposed to being able to 
type something in what looks like uh, the search box from uh, our favorite uh, search engine. And we got uh, more than just the answer. We got uh, a little bit of an opinion, a little bit of additional content, a, a little bit of additional engagement. How that quickly moved from uh, not only text, but text and images. Then text, images, and video. All in our 2D uh, uh, devices. And all of a sudden, we are now talking about how I can use some of those same uh, technologies, uh, but to create experiences that are more immersive, VR, AR, et cetera, et cetera. You all of a sudden uh, talk about uh, an explosion on the number of creatives that are not going to be, in my opinion, going to become more creative uh, as a result of the technology but you are going to be able to uh, extract that, that creativity that a lot of humans had that in the past uh, would be uh, constrained by not having access to some of these resources that now technology is making available to uh, all of us. And what we can also expect to see is that the ability of those creatives to start uh, monetizing on the experiences that they develop could also change the rules of uh, of the game. So we could also be talking about uh, a world when uh, the creator has a more direct access to their intended uh, audience. But I have seen it uh, time and time again with the true creatives that uh, we have uh, in uh, either receive as an example that you can get someone like me to play with uh, any of these tools and uh, play with the prompts and you get something interesting, something that at times uh, I, I would consider pretty cool, but then you get one of the true creatives, one of the people that uh, have the uh, required training to do uh, to do magical things, and what they are able to do with these tools just uh, grows uh, exponentially in terms of uh, the value that they can bring to the table and the excitement that they can convey by having uh, access to these uh, technologies that are coming uh, front and center. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, the impact on business and the evolution of uh, revenue growth as a result of emerging technologies is a topic that I'm particularly interested in. In fact, this week, Live Nation reported astronomical growth as a result specifically from Taylor Swift and Beyonce. The numbers went through the roof. I don't know if you saw it, Roberto, but they were really impressive. And when you talk about experiences, you mentioned uh, concerts and video games together. I'm curious, how do you feel emerging technologies will change the experience as it relates to the concert business? Do you think a company like Live Nation will have to plan on, on developing new types of experiences for the Taylor Swift fan base? And if so, what will those experiences look like? To me, it's not only concerts, uh, Mark. I would say that the exact same thing applies to uh, sports fans. The same thing applies to theme parks and other uh, dream destinations. If you think about uh, how it works today, for the most part, uh, whether you're talking about a concert or going to a Formula One race or visiting a a theme park, yes, you have uh, maybe an app that uh, was designed for the fan club, but that is not necessarily connected to the uh, in-person experience, and that's not necessarily connected to uh, a loyalty program uh, 
that uh, leverages some of the data that, that consumers are willing to uh, make available for the experience to be enhanced. So what I believe that we are going to start to see are more integrated uh, journeys uh, that are going to apply to concerts, but also going to apply to brands in which you engage before and after that uh, key moment that uh, in the case of a concert would be the actual uh, experience of attending the uh, the concert. But then uh, the, uh, the venue recognizing who you are, if you are one of the most uh, loyal fans, in a way that you might get access to some perks before, during, and after the uh, the concert. You might uh, get an immersive preview on uh, the experience that you are about to enjoy two weeks uh, later. You might get a thank you, uh, a personalized thank you message that is not just a video, but it's a sit down with the uh, performer the day after or the week after the, uh, the concert, which is going to elevate uh, the uh, experience but it's also going to allow these brands to offer additional products and services to that uh, intended audience in a way that, again, is delightful, not in a way that is just uh, pushing product for the sake of pushing product. So I like to refer to these concepts as like super fan experiences, right? And they kind of roll up, so they'll give, staying on Taylor Swift for a second, they'll give that those Swifties the ability to have access to limited ed- edition merchandise, both digital apparel and physical apparel, access to unique experiences in the digital realm as well as in the physical realm, and then access to perhaps unique services, um, you know, learn how to dance, learn how to sing, etc. I think those are really compelling ideas. And imagine how cool is it going to be, Mark, when in the very near future, you might have those very loyal fans that decide to provide additional information in a way that they might order a product. It might be a T-shirt. It might be a pair of shoes. But then if uh, we are wearing any of these new next-generation wearables, call it uh, pins, glasses, watches, or something else, we can actually detect that uh, that person walking across the street is a fellow uh, fan because uh, his or her shoes might change color but just uh, change color for me as a fellow uh, fan club uh, member and in ways that uh, not uh, uh, everyone in the general public can, uh, can see it. Again, Incredible. it's going to build connections so, that has already been happening, right? But it's already happening through uh, the lens of a phone and uh, the, uh, the, the app that right. might allow me to do that. But it's not as seamless as I believe is going to become in the very near future. So, so incredible. So like personalization plus community building through physical items um, that will allow an individual to know that fellow Swifties are, you know, in close proximity and maybe unlock some kind of a benefit to those individuals too. Or unlock uh, a different uh, pattern that gets activated uh, by everyone that is wearing that uh, limited edition T-shirt at, right. the, at the concert. So that's when uh, the possibilities so cool. uh, explode from a creative standpoint because it could be something that got generated by the fan club in connection with the with the brand and the performer. So that's where I uh, fundamentally believe that we are going to see a creativity explosion that is going to manifest through this migration from 
customer to experience centricity that I, I love it. I, you know, I think that's incredibly, incredibly exciting, particularly because I see that a lot of what you're talking about is imminent. It's, you know, it, these are concepts that are possibilities right now, but at, at whose expense? So my question to you is this, it seems like these emerging technologies will breed new business verticals and um, new business opportunity, let's say in the, in the creative lifestyle categories, fashion, art, music, sports, and entertainment. But will companies fall behind and, and possibly be eliminated because they aren't staying on top of these new emerging tech trends? So I'd say it's too early to tell. The only thing that I would say related to this, and, and what I'm going to say is not new, because it has happened that time and time again. Organizations, big and small, have uh, one of two options. And I'm probably overgeneralizing things, but uh, for the sake of simplicity, let's just talk about uh, one of two options. Uh, to believe that this is not happening and that, that they continue to uh, they need to continue to do things the way that they have been doing them for the past uh, decade and just continuing to uh, make uh, certain small enhancements uh, to their app or to their website, but to recognize that uh, consumers uh, of uh, all sorts of different uh, segments are starting to look for something different because the time of uh, just having traditional websites and uh, uh, traditional apps is quickly expiring, and to start learning about uh, what is happening. I'm not saying that that there's a need, at least not yet, for any any of these brands or large organizations to say, we are going to stop everything that we are doing, and we are going to be migrating 100% into whatever is our definition of uh, the metaverse. But what I uh, challenge my clients with all the time is on uh, the 2 to 5% rule. And what I mean by that is spending 2%, if you don't want to even go above that, 2% of your marketing budget on experimentation on how you can leverage some of these technologies. Is that too expensive of an option to have as an organization? When at the end of the day, if everything that we are talking about uh, uh, proves to be uh, flawed and becomes obsolete, you can turn around and say, well, we only spent 2% on this, no big deal. Let's now go and uh, invest on uh, what is truly going to be uh, phenomenal from a revenue growth standpoint. But are you really going to be the one that is going to be looking back and say, I decided not to invest 2% on experimentation, on teaching my people how to embrace all of these if my competitors are now the ones that are way ahead of me because uh, we decided not to put a dime into it. All right. I mean, I mean, 2% seems very conservative, um, but I'm curious, what percentage of your clients actually adopt the 2 to 5% rule? Do you have um, I, people, are, are people optimistic more more about new tech? Embracing, embracing this, and uh, you can uh, actually uh, look out there and see just this year alone, if you think about uh, the number of uh, large brands that have been experimenting with, uh, uh, maybe they don't call it metaverse, but think about immersive uh, experiences, AR-enabled experiences, things that they are doing in mixed reality, extended reality, next-generation touchscreens. We see more and more companies that uh, are quickly realizing that there's something happening here and making uh, some investments. and. 
what I have uh, seen is that I don't actually have a problem with them uh, getting into this 2% uh, level uh, mark because what most are realizing is that they start with 2% and six months or a year later, they uh, already have uh, a number of things that uh, are providing uh, enough uh, of a dividend for them to say, well, let's grow this. And uh, they become, in some cases, uh, self-funded uh, initiatives, given the early success of uh, those that are jumping into this now. Well, I see a lot of companies kind of dipping their feet in, dipping their toe in to these emerging technologies. It's not so revolutionary. They're evolving into it. So like, you know, for me, I think Nike's done a phenomenal job with Dot Swoosh and building out that creator economy and community on top of a blockchain. I think it's interesting to look at what Starbucks has done as it me as it re- reacts, as it um relies on slowly moving from web two to web three with its loyalty program. I think arguably Starbucks has the most impressive loyalty program on the planet. And the fact that it's slowly um, integrating a web three vertical there uh, happens to say a lot. It underscores the point that they see value with regards to moving into web three. Anheuser-Busch, InBev, they've also moved their loyalty program into a Web3 vertical. So, you know, this slow evolution of companies is is uh, going into emerging technologies, I think is important. So if you're getting these companies to, to try things out, it's great. Hopefully the reaction will be good. But I think to your point, it gives them an advantage because it, it lays the foundation, right? You get the plan, you can take advantage of new technologies and the benefits that these new technologies bring along as well. For example, what do you think as it relates to Nike's idea of putting their intellectual property into their community to allow for creators to develop digital assets and to monetize them as well? I mean, that's a very unique thing for a brand like Nike to, to be willing to put their IP into the mix. Yeah, so I want to go back to something that you mentioned to answer your question, because you mentioned two very important words. You mentioned uh, the word community and the word loyalty. And I would say that those are examples on what, uh, in my opinion, drives the difference between just a one-time campaign to check the box and building something that is going to be long-lasting. Because when you talk about community, when you talk about loyalty, Mark, you have uh, an objective uh, in mind that goes way beyond just running a pilot uh, to please your boss or to copy what your competitor is doing. Where I see a big distinction these days is between the companies that uh, wake up on a Monday morning and say, hey, uh, let's go into one of these immersive 2D platforms. We need to build something uh, there. Why? We don't know, but we need to build something because uh, our neighbor, uh, we already heard the rumor that they are going to be jumping into one of these platforms. Or others that say, hey, let's do something in augmented reality. Do we even understand uh, if our clients are using augmented reality for all the things that they do when uh, they uh, consume products and services? Who knows, but we need an augmented reality experience. Those fail close to 100% of the time. It becomes really different when you say, hey, we believe that uh, technology is going to allow us to offer a different type of experience as it relates to loyalty or as it relates to embracing the community that we are trying to build with our customers. Because then 
technology becomes an accessory to a bigger objective instead of the focus of uh, what you're going to be spending your budget in. Because then that's when you start analyzing well, loyalty, our customers, let's do some analysis. Which of the different great technologies related to immersive or something else that are at our disposal are going to be the ones that are going to allow us to really move the needle on our ultimate objective that is to create a better loyalty program to increase customer retention, to increase our, uh, our sales on the productivity side. It's also to be more efficient in the way in which we conduct that uh, training uh, because then that, uh, that objective stays even if the technology continues to advance because you need to go into a lot of these things with eyes wide open. That's some of the things that you might start uh, working with as part of that 2% that I was alluding to might become obsolete six months later, and that's fine as long as your objective is not uh, that particular uh, widget. Your objective is community, loyalty, retention, or something there. So um, gone are the days of the shiny disco ball, $69 million people NFT, and enter the days of leveraging these new technologies for utility as it relates for brands, right? Like the concept of community and loyalty are critical now. And the same concept uh, applies, uh, Mark. Uh, there were a lot of companies that got into NFTs last uh, year, uh, primarily, that's it. Uh, hey, uh, let's just uh, issue uh, NFTs. We don't really even understand uh, how is this going to work. We don't even know what percentage of our target audience has a digital wallet that can absorb that uh, NFT. But we heard that our neighbors are making a fortune by selling uh, pictures of their logo for a million dollars. Let's do something like that. And uh, at the same time, we saw a number of companies that, that didn't jump into the hype bandwagon and that instead spent the time on truly understanding the value that uh, NFT technology or blockchain technology can provide to loyalty, that can provide to community. And uh, they might not be using uh, the word NFT, but they are certainly uh, using uh, web free principles to build these experiences. Roberto, I think the, a, a big piece of the puzzle that you're talking about is the perceived value of a digital asset. For example, one can argue that a young millennial, Gen Z, Gen Alpha might value a digital asset more than an individual from my generation and older. So, you know, when we talk about an NFT. It's interesting that Disney has entered just this week, Disney entered the NFT space with um, Disney characters, with princesses. I think they also released a Star Wars collection. And maybe that's the first step in saying, okay, next generation, Gen Alpha, we know that you appreciate these digital collectibles, but we're going to use this as a stepping stone into a much broader long-term type of loyalty program as well. So I just think it's interesting to share that perspective where, you know, we're still seeing major corporations like Disney entering the space. And I expect uh, that we will continue to see companies big and small jumping into uh, this space. But as I mentioned uh, before, Mark, what I expect is that we are no longer going to see companies just uh, going uh, into one of these technologies but taking a couple of steps back and then 
thinking about a bigger objective that could be loyalty, community, or something else, and saying, well, how do all of these technologies can come together in a way that that they can delight uh, the people that that we want to delight from existing customers, new uh, new customers, or opportunities for us to extend our value proposition beyond the products and services that we offer today. So when you talk about this, um, these grouping of emerging technologies, you know, obviously artificial intelligence is such a hot topic this day, these days. So I'm curious, um, in your mind and in, from, you know, from your perspective, how do you see major corporations using generative AI specifically to help fuel their business models, um, perhaps let's say in the creative classes to start, um, how do you see generative AI fueling entities from fashion, from art, from music, sports, entertainment over the next three to five years? Yeah, I would say that there are more than enough uh, survey studies out there already, including uh, several uh, pieces of thought leadership that Peter Rusi has published that, that show uh, how uh, big uh, generative AI and AI is becoming on pretty much every single uh, sector. At the same time, I believe it's important to remember that AI didn't uh, become a thing just last year. There are people, uh, including uh, people that I have a lot of respect for at PwC, that have been spending over a decade uh, really getting uh, into the gods of uh, artificial intelligence and how transformative uh, that piece of technology is going to be. So as it relates to uh, creative uh, areas, uh, Mark, I think that they are going to go through the same uh, change that that we are seeing in uh, several other parts of large businesses. They are certainly going to be impacted. I am not uh, of the view that they are going to be impacted uh, from the standpoint that Creatives are going to go away because I'm going to be talking to a, a machine that is going to replace what a creative does today at an agency or at any of the large brands. However, and I'm not the one that uh, came up with this, there are other smarter people than I have mentioned this time and time again. This is not about uh, the human versus the machine. This is about uh, the creative that embraces these tools that is going to be way more productive and is going to be able to express their creativity in bigger ways than the human that is very creative that decides not to learn anything about uh, what these tools have to offer. So why does the human, let's say it's a chief marketing officer, for example, why does that individual who can leverage generative AI need to be more productive from a content perspective? Like how would they unleash the um, tons of content that could be created in a very short period of time through the use of generative AI. I think that it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes uh, ago. If uh, we believe in a world that is going to become more experience-centric, that's going to require a different type of uh, content production at companies big and small and brands big and small. And generative AI is going to help you accelerate those capabilities. Roberto, do you think that generative AI will eventually be classified as a type of art, like a type of genre that brands, companies, and creators will use? Um, you know, like there are photographers 
analog and digital. There are painters, you know, there are digital artists now. Do you feel like AI will just ultimately, generative AI artists will just ultimately stand on their own as a particular type of art? That's, that's a tough one. Uh, I would say no, because I continue to believe that uh, we are talking about uh, amazing tools, but tools are just that tools. I don't think that that tool is going to replace uh, human uh, ingenuity anytime soon. Humans win, huh? I'm a big believer that uh, we're on the winning team. Yes. Good. Good, but we're. But it's not a battle. At the same time, this is not about, as I said before, humans versus uh, versus machines. We have gone through periods like this in uh, in history. It's about uh, learning how we need to retool ourselves as humans, so we can continue doing what we are great at doing as humans. That is different than what a machine is good at. The concept of humans beating machines is interesting, but we're also living in a time period where humans are not trusting humans. We have this post-trust type of mindset. And I think this is particularly evident in cryptocurrency circles where people might consider how their governments are devaluing their currencies, including the dollar. So I wonder, um, how do you see in this post-trust world individuals or humans leveraging blockchain technology as it relates to possessing their currency, possessing their identity? How important are those aspects forward looking? So now you have really gotten into an area that uh, I will have to point to people that specialize in the topic because I don't hold any, uh, any crypto and, uh, I'm not the one to speak about that geo uh, geopolitics. Uh, it is obviously a pretty turbulent uh, time, but uh, as it relates to that and that impact on crypto, uh, I, I don't even know where to start. Oh, let's keep it lighthearted then. A uh, simple question that I wanted to ask you is, do you think life will be better for us in the metaverse? Um, like, for example, will family life, business life, education, spirituality, Will life be better for humans in the metaverse? So what I would say, Mark, is that uh, instead of calling uh, it life in the metaverse, I would refer to it as life going to be better as more people embrace the use of metaverse technologies. And I would say that the answer is absolutely yes. Because what is going to happen, and I keep going back to this notion of stretching a delightful journey, in which we are not talking, I'm never going to subscribe to the idea that some people have alluded to that uh, the real world is going to be so miserable that we are going to prepare to uh, just put on a headset and disconnect uh, from reality from the moment that uh, we wake up until uh, we are ready to go to bed. Instead, what I believe is going to happen is that we are going to be embracing these technologies as an extension of the delight of in-person experiences. Because uh, what we are going to realize sooner rather than later is that by leveraging some of these immersive experiences, the actual productivity, the retention of information, the excitement uh, around them is going to be way higher than the interaction like the one that, that you and I are having right now that is through a flat screen. If we are talking about migrating into an immersive platform, when I can still be at my home office, you can be at 
uh, the studio, but we can uh, interact with each other through a medium other than that flat screen. We might uh, learn a little bit more about uh, each other and we might be willing to be my friend, uh, change the environment uh, if we want to do something that is uh, happening uh, on the other corner of the world. And the same thing applies to uh, a meeting like this, to education, when you can, uh, let's say, uh, be having a world history lesson with high school students, and instead of just uh, talking to them about uh, the Roman Coliseum, and there are professors that do a fantastic job with that, but wouldn't that experience get elevated if all of a sudden that same professor tells me, why don't we put a virtual reality headset on? Let's travel to Rome today. And then also let's move the dial back in time. Let's actually uh, experience uh, how the Roman Coliseum looked like in the time of the Roman Empire. And we could do That's that That's pretty now. delightful, right? But he's not right. living in the metro. Right. And we could do that now, right? That's That's all possible now. So, Roberto, it's, it's been great having you today. You always provide such an amazing amount of optimistic insight. All of our guests finish the show by finishing a sentence, which I start off with some future day. So I'll start the sentence, and then if you take a second and think about it and answer it, we'd appreciate it. So the sentence is, in some future day, business leaders will use the metaverse to better connect with their customers and their employers in delightful ways. All right, one more for you as a father. In some future day, parents will use the metaverse to better connect with their children through... Virtual reality. All right. Roberto, thanks for being patient. Today, it's great to see you. I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you very much, Mark, and uh, we'll be in touch, and hopefully we can uh, connect in person uh, in New York the next time that I'm in your neck of the woods. I know your time is very important, so thank you so much for joining me today. For ongoing insights surrounding these important topics, you can join the conversation on my social media channels, including Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, at Mark Beckman. And to sign up for my newsletter on Substack, you can find me at markbeckman.substack.com. To make sure you don't miss a show, be sure to subscribe to Some Future Day across all major platforms worldwide, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Special thanks to New York University for producing Some Future Day, and a big shout out to my producer extraordinaire, John Boomhofer, for being patient and always encouraging me to push through. Thanks a lot, John. Have a great day.